0: Hello everyone, I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by Christopher Drobot. Christopher is a passionate cheerleader for the potential of the Edmonton region, Although not directly an entrepreneur himself, his extensive experience in business operations and now mortgage lending help focus his excitement on the ideas that can see the city grow. He is involved in the push to bring a world-class aquarium to the city and is completing his MBA and, together with his wife, homeschools his two children. The parallels between entrepreneurialism and homeschooling have been many, and he sees an overarching lesson in both. You have to create the world you wish to see. And now let's connect with Christopher and his guest, Sarang Dutt. Take it away, Christopher. Hello and
1: welcome back to Leaders, Innovators and Big Ideas, supported by Rainforest Alberta. I am your host today, Christopher Drobot. And this episode, we are joined by Sarang Dutt of Venture Smartly, a local venture capital firm. And he is excited to provide a unique approach to supporting startups. With a significant background in computer, electrical, and biomedical engineering, and an MBA from the U of A focused on innovation and entrepreneurship, Sarang brings a strong technical and process focused approach and combines it with his passion for supporting growth. As he will get into further on, Aventure Smartly approaches the VC model differently by partnering with founders and startups to help them build strategically on their strengths while pursuing areas of greatest growth. Welcome, Sarang. Thank you so much for having me here. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I know. It's great to uh, to get a, a bit of a different perspective today on the podcast. Typically, we have founders, we have people that uh, have been on the opposite side of the desk from you, uh, and so this is, this is really great to get to hear the different perspective that you know, insight that maybe they don't typically get. Right. Yeah, so looking forward to it. Why don't we just start off and we'll just jump right in. Tell us your backstory, tell us your journey. Like how did you get to here.
2: Okay, so I'll, I'll start off by saying I'm a father, I'm an inventor, venture capitalist, and a host of other roles in my own life. But the way I I started off and I got here was actually by investing. So I started in the startup space right while I was in university. One of my friends asked me, hey, I know of a startup company that's trying to hire people. You want to go and check it out? And next thing you know, I was with them and I was working to build uh, home automation systems. So it was really cool technology that didn't exist at the time. But afterwards, when I got into my next startup and the one after it, I started doing some investments. And that first investment that I made really, really hurt because uh, it failed and it was horrible to see it fail. Watching your own money disappear, that's one part of it. But the other part was, Vesting something into it, both in terms of both financially and emotionally, and then not seeing it come through and be realized and make a difference in the world is really frustrating and upsetting. So I started asking myself the question, on what basis do we invest? On what basis do we not only put our money, but also our effort into a startup company and then make sure that it actually succeeds. That decision making processes, I had I had a lot of questions around. And so I went through life participating in more startups. I created my own. I set up one relating to developing mobile apps and i had even opened up an office in, in India. All of that, those were great experiences. But in the end, when I got into this venture capital, I had finalized on a process for making sure that startups work. Uh, Dean Kohler from uh, Calvert Mortgage, in the signature event for 2019, he had mentioned something very interesting. He said, entrepreneurs need advice. We need good advisors on our team. And the logic makes a lot of sense. It's like when during investing, we're often told, and you might have heard of, heard this advice from others as well, get a professional investor to support you with your investments Don't try and do it on your own because we're emotionally very, very close. And this is very applicable to entrepreneurs. Emotionally, we're so tied to our own businesses that it's a lot like looking at our hands uh, and trying to see the fingerprints on our hands when our hands are up close to our eyes. It's just something very, very close to us. And because of the emotions involved with startups, trying to make good decisions becomes a challenge. So what I wanted to do was step in and really be operationally involved in support startups from launch to exit. That t- type of support right now doesn't exist for startup companies. There's pl- plenty of mentorship. There's plenty of support, but the process of ensuring that they succeed from launch to exit, that doesn't exist. And that's something that I wanted to
1: provide. That's awesome. That's awesome. Especially like you, you mentioned, touched on the emotional connection um, that, that founders typically are going to end up having with their business, which totally makes sense. I mean, it's, it's something they've created. It's, it's It's their baby. Exactly. Yeah. So like, uh, with that, I mean, with that emotion that's in there, there there's an aspect of inspiration. So, I mean, mm-hmm. in some ways, this is your own creation. So, like, mm-hmm. how, how did you get inspired to decide this is the space for you? This is how you want to? Well,
2: it's every single entrepreneur has this passion around them when they're trying to come up with their own new solution, when they're trying to uh, develop their, uh, their startup company from scratch into something big. Uh, watching that process is inspiring. Being around these intelligent, smart people who are trying to make a change in this world—that's inspiring. So being here and involved in the community and wanting to genuinely make a difference for them—that's for me. Well, that's where I should be. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I know. And you've been in Edmonton for for quite a while as well. Yes. Yeah. So I've so, been
2: here since 2007.
1: Yeah. So how how does that factor in? Like, what what about Edmonton? What why? Why Edmonton specifically?
2: My son was born here. My wife and I set up our lives here. We're settled at this point. I moved around so much in my life. I left India when I was eight years old. I lived in South Africa from 1991 until 2001. I left home in 2000 to go to university. I switched to the US. I transferred there and that too in the middle of university. So it's that relationship building part that you kind of lose at the beginning of first year. So those connections that I, I really wanted to build we're lost again and again and again. Finally, I settled down in Edmonton and decided to make Edmonton my home. This is, I find that Edmonton has a wonderful diversity. We really care about people. We are welcome to to having people of other cultures and other backgrounds here. And that's really, really beautiful. I myself, because of this, my move to South Africa, I saw something very interesting. I, Being someone from India, I wasn't white and I was there at, while apartheid was still going on. 94 was when apartheid formally ended and uh, seeing that transition was an amazing thing but I also got hit for it right it was apartheid after all and so I wasn't white I wasn't a South African Indian being having come from a different culture the South African Indians were people who had been there for at least three or four generations so they had their own version of Indian culture I wasn't black. I wasn't colored. So not being any of these meant I hung out with the guys from Venda and Democratic Republic of Congo. We nice guys. They were great. But I wasn't in any one of those cultures. So after coming here to Edmonton, I see that there's a mixed community and suddenly I fit right in because we're all mixed here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. How, how does that factor into the entrepreneurial space? Prior to the starting of the podcast, you had
2: kind of mentioned that this is this is something you've recognized as a, a strength of Edmonton. Absolutely. For entrepreneurs, it's so very, very important to be diverse and accept all people of all cultures. When we, I recently was talking with Fadi Smidey of Skills Trader, and he said something very profound. He said, I love having women on my team. They bring a different dynamic. So I'm quoting his words in that. And that's so very, very true. And he said right after that, they make things softer. When there are just guys in the room, it can can quite often get prickly so and that's that's absolutely a fact it does get prickly so having women present in our team mixed up in the group helps to really soften our environment and create a different kind of dynamic on every one of my teams i've always tried to make sure that there are women involved for the entrepreneurial environment it's super important to have diversity both in terms of gender as well as in culture right
1: Right and I mean yeah we've got some tremendous examples of, of culture in the city so that, th- thank you for that. Let's veer back towards Venture Smartly for a second and just talk about kind of some of the projects that you've been supporting some of the the work that you are trying to do and, and how how do you see Venture Smartly fitting into the community as like what's the role that you see them fulfilling within the Edmonton ecosystem.
2: So Venture Smartly really has three lines of business. The first is in venture capital. So we provide funding for startup companies.
1: Everybody likes the person with the money. Exactly, exactly.
2: Who <laughs> everybody loves money and everybody wants funding. There's that, and then there's consulting. People don't often understand what exactly that is. It's a little bit different from mentorship. In mentorship, that comes for free. Obviously, we see Tech Edmonton. We see so many other companies offering mentorship and support to entrepreneurs. Consulting is different in that. It's operationally involved. It looks at what your problems are in your business and you actively try and address it. So startup companies have many issues that are happening all simultaneously. And so having that sort of support to address the issues within the business is fundamentally important. And that's something that we provide. So the second line of business that we provide is consulting. The third line of business is in 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 in-house incubation so we in essence try and bring entrepreneurs into our own company and then try and create companies out of those awesome yeah so
1: really like you're you're breaking it down from like a business process standpoint like you're Absolutely. you're actually digging in and saying well you know let's let's refine your business plan let's actually like figure out completely
2: your- sorry the 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 listeners probably couldn't see it when I opened my eyes. I, I was like, yes, that's exactly it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, that's, uh, that's something that probably a lot of people don't have. So like you've got business education as well as learned experience as an investor, as a startup founder. Like you, you've blood, sweat and tears. Blood, sweat and tears. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, what, what better perspective to be able to share with people that uh, can guide
2: them to avoid the same mistakes that maybe you've made? There's one part of it. That's uh, experience is a part of it. But more than that, in each of their cases, they have their own circumstances and they have their own situations. All investors say there's no ideal model for making sure that startup companies succeed. And frankly, I fundamentally disagree with that. And the reason is because we already have industry processes for these things. We have ISO 9001. ISO 9001 is a quality management standard. But people don't understand that that quality management standard is actually about saying what you're going to do, and then making sure that you do it. So there's promising, executing, and then there's an auditing portion to make sure that you're actually doing what you said you were going to do. And as part of those audits, you verify that your processes are actually working. It's all about business processes. So in other words, there are existing frameworks and there are existing methodologies for making sure that whether it's large companies or whether it's small companies, that they are doing what they promised and that they can succeed. So there are methodologies out there to make things work. What I'm trying to do is make sure that, one, using those existing methodologies, supports startup companies, as opposed to supporting large firms, support startup companies to implement these frameworks that can help them succeed. So there is ISO 9001 for risk management. There's ISO 31000. These things do exist, and they are getting applied in large firms. It's just that because entrepreneurs aren't are so focused completely on their solution and their activities they're so super busy they don't have time to deal with all of these little things so because they don't have time it helps to have somebody from the outside support and provide these sorts of services
1: yeah and i mean as a founder it's something that probably too many people discover is that Mm. they themselves aren't scalable so really that's what you're trying to yeah exactly enable their
2: business to become scalable through those processes right so i'm going to diverge a little bit so you'll have to bring me back to topic (laughs) in a moment but i think that risk management is a very fundamentally important part when people talk about risk they think about hazards and they immediately think about the different dangers they're they're facing in their business but that's not what risk is if you substitute the word risk with uncertainty suddenly it becomes a completely different conversation to the objectives that you have for your business what uncertainties are you facing and if you start having a conversation around that for your respective business and for the plans and strategies that you're building, suddenly your business process and your approach to entrepreneurship changes. So I'd like to provide that reminder for entrepreneurs out there to always keep that in mind and really keep an eye on the uncertainties of your business and the changes that are happening so that you can adapt from the beginning and try and be predictive about what could happen. Yeah.
1: Makes sense. There are, there's so much uncertainty. I mean, you you look at how quickly things are changing Mm. and in every area we were just talking earlier as well about how the the cliche, every company is a tech company or or has to be nowadays. But I mean, because of that, there's all this uncertainty. Like what what areas do you see as the the most effective strategies to try to remove some of that uncertainty?
2: I think it's about planning. So when you sit down right at the beginning and why do we develop a business plan? We develop a business plan and actually try and document, whether it's in the form of a formal written document or whether it's just as a set of presentations that you can see images that give you an idea of what your business is and how to go about it. That's fundamentally important because it gives you clarity around what activities are you performing in the business. Once you look at what activities there are, then you can look at, okay, well, where the uncertainties associated with each of these activities Okay, if I understand what uncertainties there are, then I can say, all right, how do I address these? What actions can I take? And more than that, what processes can I build into my business so that I can address these on a continuous basis? We as entrepreneurs, we always look at things in problem-solving mode. So we see a problem, we fix it. We see a problem and we fix it. And because we approach it in that way, we frequently don't build processes to continuously fix these issues that come up and going from a problem-solving approach to a process-oriented approach helps address this that's why i like to refer to myself as a recovering engineer because as as (laughs) an engineer it is always about problem solving and i suddenly find that i have to shift to a completely different mode around business processes and having everything be process oriented yeah
1: reactionary versus proactive approach it really does shift the, the potential of the business.
2: Because if you're if you're always about
1: reaction, it's like playing whack-a-mole.
2: I fully agree with that. And being proactive is crucially important. But at the same time, there are some things that you simply can't avoid. I was just talking this morning, uh, right before I came here with Steve Martins from, from Route 7, very smart guy. Steve was talking about how a solar company that took on VC funding moved to the US and then they were doing really really well for a little while. And then suddenly things changed. Companies from China began flooding the U.S. market with low-cost solar panels. And next thing you know, the company had had a down round and finally they had to shut down. So that's a classic case of uncertainty. How would they have known that this was going to happen? Or how would they have compensated for this type of event? So it, it would have helped to have some degree of risk management and plan for the market suddenly undercutting them in terms of cost, what would they do? How would they do it? But it's hard to anticipate that kind of thing. And this happens on a common basis with many companies. We have to learn to shift and adapt. And sometimes we have to do it very, very, very quickly. This, for them, that fall happened in a matter of months where their sales were devastated.
1: Yeah, that's like a, a business case model (laughs) approach, <laughs> you know, right. you're, you're looking at it at our story a business school case model.
2: Exactly. Yeah. It re- it really should be studied as a case.
1: Let's, uh, let's kind of circle back in. So if we were to talk about specific advice that you would share to entrepreneurs in the Edmonton ecosystem, what recommendations would you have for people that are considering launching a new company or generated some revenue and are thinking of
2: scaling up? Mm. So on this very topic, I had a conversation just this past Friday. And there was a lady who was asking me about, well, I have a product that I want to develop. Do you have any advice? So my first answer was, understand your customer. So you're interested in building, let's say a product in wastewater. Awesome. But who's the customer? Who is going to actually pay for it? Not just who's going to use it. Who's going to pay for it? Why would they pay for it? And are you able to actually identify who in that business you would talk to If you wanted to sell it and then actually go do that. Go have a conversation with those people and find out if they'd be willing to buy such a product. Are they interested? Try that again. Repeat that a few more times to get an idea of who'd be interested. How many of those people that you've spoken with would be willing to buy in? And if you're getting a good response, that tells you that you have a market. And then you can go about doing your formal market study, but understand the customer. Who's the customer? Why do they need it? What are their needs? How are you addressing those? If that's not clear, then I'd say don't spend time on product development until you have that clear. I haven't seen a single case, whether it's of my own products or anyone else's where they've developed a product. And at the moment it hit the customer and the customer saw it, the customer didn't think, Oh, well I have something similar or I need something else. And then it did. The product didn't quite address everything that was required. So, it's very, very important to get that customer feedback, to get an understanding of where they're at and what their needs are. You
1: basically want to sell the idea before you've even
2: got a product. Not available. just the idea, but understand who you're, uh, you're providing that that product or service for. If they don't need it or they don't want it, then you're wasting your time. That's your blood, sweat and tears. If you're creating a company and you're trying to turn it into something successful, that's your baby. If you want to create something like that and you're so passionate about it, then the first thing you should make sure of is what are the odds of actually getting somewhere with this? So rather than spending all that time and effort into your company, before you start getting your product out there or before you even start making your product, find out who the customer is. You should be able to profile them to the point where you should have a picture in your mind of, what they look like, how old they are, what they do on a day-to-day basis in their job. Understand your customer at that level. This actually comes from an MBA class on marketing where... Just (laughs) going (laughs) to say. There was a lady from Stollery Children's Hospital who works in fundraising, basically. She said exactly these words and she talked at U of A about how they had clear profiles for every single one of the segments in the markets that they targeted. Whether it was the old grandmother who was passionate about taking care of kids and grandkids and was contributing, or whether it's the new retiree or current parents with little ones that were going to stroller on a regular basis, that kind of thing. So understand the customer to the point where you can develop a very clear profile of them. And then once you have an understanding of that customer, try and design your product and make sure it's, it's prepared to address customer needs. You want to know everything about that client then, everything yes. about that customer. You want Absolutely.
1: to know your imaginary customer, what type of car they drive and what they eat for dinner on a Tuesday sort of
2: thing. Like- almost to that point. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I almost said that uh, <laughs> if you could see down their stomach, you should know what gut bugs there are.
1: <laughs> yeah, you really want to get to get to know who, mm-hmm. who you're trying to sell to. That's great advice. Okay, so what's what's one big idea then that motivates you? Why does sarong get up in the
2: morning to work on this? Because it's beautiful. Every one, every one of these entrepreneurs are smart people. They're waking up to make a difference in this world. They're interested in contributing and making a difference. Enabling them to do that and ensuring their success is why I wake up. That's I love that. It's short and to the point. That's great. You have had some
1: interactions with the rainforest community as well. Mm. Why don't you just kind of touch on that for? As we kind of wrap things up so i
2: thought rainforest was doing an awesome job in terms of creating a network of entrepreneurs a network of different types of businesses and service providers and connectors in the industry so having that sort of a network really helps because for one entrepreneurs get to bounce off ideas within this community they get to get connected with investors and with service providers with consultants and with job seekers. As an overall process of interaction, I found that rainforest really gives an opportunity to entrepreneurs to interact and build those resources that they need as part of building their own business. In informal connections. They're informal connections, but mostly it is through informal connections that you achieve success. In my own case, I connected with a lot of different people and suddenly I found, wait a minute, this alignment here. We might have an opportunity to create something new, whether it's for product development or whether it's for hiring the next developer. Sometimes the person that you're having a conversation with, you don't even know what they do for a living and what their skills and expertise is. Having a conversation, just getting to know them, building the personal relationship first and then asking for, oh, well, what do you do? And then finding out, wait a minute, we have alignment. Voila, that's that's what uh, rainforest really enables people to do. And I think that's a fundamentally important part of our ecosystem.
1: Or to sum that up, it basically is is just about recognizing that not every opportunity comes to you wrapped
2: in a bow. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And and frequently we can't even see the bow.
1: Yeah. Perfect. Uh, well, I, I've really enjoyed this. This has been great. Is there any, uh, any last words you, you would, parting wisdom that you would want to share with anyone?
2: The one last message that I'd like to pass on is persist. So I've seen entrepreneurs sometimes having really hard times. One of them, for example, rented out his existing house, which was on mortgage, went rented out a cheaper, low-cost apartment. I was helping him lift his couch over to the new place and so on. Entrepreneurs have a hard time but the one thing that's really, really important to do is hold on to your vision, be clear on what you're doing. And if you have a clear customer and you have a clear market, you have a something that you're building, hold on in there. Hang on and keep persisting. You can succeed. It's within your capabilities. Believe in yourself.
1: That's great. Well, thank you so much, Sarang. Really great having you on the show and, and a very, again, very different perspective on uh, on the entrepreneurial journey here in Edmonton. So thank you thank very you for much. for having me here.
0: Yeah, it's great. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social-barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode is sponsored by Capturing Legacies, because everyone has a story, and Capturing Legacies is here to help you tell it. Visit CapturingLegacies.com for more information. The audio for this episode was professionally edited by Kate Day with KD Sound Design. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.